welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to Causes of Depression at Different Life Stages. Why this disease of civilization, as it's known, occurs at specific stages of life, and how this helps practitioners who treat depression. I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Along with the sunshine, there's got to be a little rain sometime. And that's from the song Rose Garden by Joe South. And as the uh, creator of the Peanuts cartoon, Charles Schultz said, when life takes you for a ride, hang on tight. Challenges are, of course, an inevitable part of life from the first breath we take right through to the last. All lives follow twists and turns and dark paths, as well as lighter ones. But some common life stages pose greater risks to mental health than others. And we all go through them, these stages, at least if we're lucky. Often, it's at such times when we face change, such as illness, divorce, or even retirement, that we suddenly find it harder to meet our emotional or even physical needs. And those are the times we're most at risk of becoming depressed. So here I want to share with you some of the common life events that increase the risk of depression and why that might happen so that you can use this to help prepare clients and yourself and your loved ones for tough times or potentially tough times. It's so important because depression is all around us. It's a disease of civilization and a curse of modern living, it seems, because we live in depressing times in many ways, when pressures and demands prevent people from meeting important needs in their life. They naturally feel stressed. And in turn, when people reach a point of feeling helpless to meet their emotional needs, they can start to feel trapped and hopeless, you know, mulling over unmet needs can stress the brain and eventually produce what we call clinical depression. Now, depression is a growing problem in modern life, and its prevalence now is 10 times greater, 1,000% greater than 70 years ago, a rise that apparently accounts for increased diagnosis and also people being more ready to admit that they are depressed. So there does seem to be an actual big increase in the incidence of depression. Now, the sad fact seems to be that depression is striking younger and younger people more and more. See reference one in the article. But no age group is immune. You know, depression is rising in all age groups, as are suicide rates. See reference two. And we can't simply pass the disorder off as a chemical imbalance. Our genetics just don't evolve that fast. Biology doesn't change that much in 70 years. The truth is, human beings suffer in context. They suffer in the context of their current situation, but also in the context of their emotional history and learning, and also their innate character traits. For example, relationships probably have as much to tell us as other life contexts about why some people depress and others don't. Relationships are so important. What's more, attitudes feelings and ways of responding to life can all be learned from other people. So the more depressed people there are, the easier it is for depression to spread through communities. 
Some people learn depressive attitudes from other people. Living with a depressed person, for example, is, unsurprisingly, a risk factor for becoming depressed ourselves. See reference three. Again, this is strong evidence that there's more than just genetics at play here when we're talking about depression. Many psychologists, including Michael Yapko and Martin Seligman, consider depression to be partly a learned phenomenon and also a socially infectious one. Seligman found that children learn depressive thinking biases, expectations and worldviews from their primary caregiver. But he also encouragingly found that if children were taught new ways of responding to their day-to-day realities, depression could be avoided. They could be inoculated, as he described it, from developing depression later on. Nicholas Christakis and others have shown that depression can spread in social networks up to three degrees of separation, an effect that appears to be more pronounced in women. Clearly, there are multiple different causes of depression, not just one simple blanket explanation. But it's not just who you know or even what happens to you that determines whether you'll become depressed or not. No one chooses depression. You know, some people react to the idea that depression isn't primarily a biological disease. And if that's true, they sort of uh, respond with a knee-jerk response like, are you saying it's people's own fault that they become depressed? And of course, that's not the case at all. You know, uh, and they, they might say that as if it's nothing to do with a person's emotional history and learning. But of course, depression can be. They interpret the idea to mean that depression is somehow a choice a person makes or a reflection of personal weakness. But of course, it isn't. The truth is far more subtle than that. A small proportion of people do perhaps have a genetic predisposition to reacting to life's events with greater stress. And of course, no one wants to be depressed. Strong, intelligent, good people can become depressed. And sometimes life can be overwhelming for anybody. But it's important to consider the following. Depression isn't solely an events-driven phenomenon. Okay, People can and do have all kinds of terrible things happen to them without depressing while other people seem to become depressed even when, outwardly, their lives seem to be perfectly fine. They seem to be meeting emotional needs, but there's something that they're not meeting. So it's not just about what happens to a person so much as what they inwardly do with what happens to them, how they respond and whether they're prone to negative rumination, spending a lot of time in their head. Negative rumination or mulling can happen even during periods of stability and calm. While outwardly life may be calm, inwardly anxieties might be churning. They might be worrying about a future in which their needs are no longer met. Conversely, a person's life may be outwardly harsh, but inwardly they may be calm and hopeful and able to reframe events. Resilience can be learned and developed. If someone has been traumatized or spent years listening to someone else interpret life depressingly, then it's not their fault. If life becomes incredibly overwhelming, that is not their fault either. Okay, although there might be ways that they can change uh, life in order to manage that overwhelm. 
But there do seem to be times in a person's life, often times of transition, when it becomes harder to meet their emotional needs. This leaves them vulnerable and potentially more prone to depression. But it's feelings of helplessness and hopelessness about ever meeting those needs again that allow depression to really set in. If someone has learned depressive attitudes, had traumatic emotional conditioning, or not been exposed to enough reasonable challenge in childhood, these periods in life may pose a greater risk. So here I want to give you some ideas as to what stages of life generally tend to be risky for people's emotional health and balance. Understanding this is more important than ever against the backdrop of the ever-increasing spectrum of depression in our modern world. More children are depressed than ever before. Yes, this may have something to do with over-diagnosis and eagerness to pathologize, perhaps natural sadness. But it is true that more children seem to be genuinely disturbed. So what are the risky times in childhood? So I want to look at childhood changes. Potentially difficult experiences for a child include going to a new school, particularly before they establish new friendships, moving away from familiarity, being bullied, death of a family member or pet even, loss of a parent through divorce, especially if that parent becomes estranged, arguing or abusive parents, too much time spent in a virtual world online so that the real world can start to feel unnegotiable and too difficult and relationship skills may not have developed, illness of a parent, friend or self. So none of these events inevitably produce depression, of course, but they are risky events and risky situations and times. And I should point out here that there is actually evidence to suggest that some adversity as a child, as long as a child doesn't feel entirely helpless, can actually strengthen mental resilience and aid future uh, mental well-being. So it's important to support the child and help them meet their primal emotional needs in any way we can, perhaps outside of school as well as in school, and help them relax and have fun and find what they enjoy to do and help them explain events to themselves in ways that are not depressing. And it goes without saying that children need love and support. But of course, that doesn't just apply to children. So let's just look at teenage transitions. Now, the concept of the teenager is a relatively new one. And it may be that many young adults have never quite become comfortable with that in-between identity, not quite being an adult, but not really being a child either. Anxieties around forming more adult relationships, sexual awakening, pressures of conforming or finding an identity through seemingly not conforming, concerns about what path to take in life, pressures over drugs and sex, and of course hormonal and other physical changes can all lead to increased rumination, stress, worry, and anxiety. All things which generate depression. Conflict with parents can also lead to inner struggles and fears. Teenagers may feel particularly vulnerable to uh, changing schools. Again, peer group is very important um, when you're a teenager. Developing hopeless crushes. Relationship issues, including breakups. Leaving school or college. 
going away to university and suddenly facing pressure to actively meet emotional needs, such as form new friendships, separation or divorce of parents, and bereavement. Addictive behaviours, such as drug or alcohol consumption or smoking or self-harm, such as cutting, may start during teenage years and may persist as a uh, misguided coping mechanism if not superseded by healthier ways to meet emotional needs. Treating teenagers as young adults, helping them develop responsibilities and deal with the complexities of life, and actively teaching them emotional skills by re-evaluating explanatory styles, understanding their and other people's primal emotional needs, and even helping them examine their expectations from life, can all be really powerful ways of supporting teenagers through difficulty. But of course, teenagers don't stay teenagers forever. So let's look at adult anxieties. Pressures for young adults include starting a new job, or not being able to get a job, Um, settling into a relationship or not being able to find a relationship, moving away from the family home or not moving away from the family home. These issues can all pose problems for some young adults. And it's really important to realise that not experiencing hoped-for transitions can be just as much of a problem for young adults as the transitions themselves. Romantic and career successes may prove harder to achieve than they had hoped or anticipated. Sometimes we can feel that life's going to be easier than it turns out to actually be, and that can be a bit of a shock. New responsibilities can also be trying for some young adults. One young guy I saw told me he felt terrified at the prospect of paying bills. Okay, so something he never thought he'd have to do. Another woman in her 20s told me she was starting to despair that time was running out because she had always imagined that Prince Charming, as she described him, would have swept her off her feet by now. This was a real expectation she'd had. A young person may go through several relationships as they try to find out who they are and who they're compatible with. So relationship issues may present difficulties and may cause rumination. Career choice and advancement and the acquisition of material wealth and success, whatever that means, may also be a major focus during young adulthood as we start off in pursuit of the American dream, whether we live in America or not. Mind you, as hard as we may try to plan the perfect future, sometimes life has other plans for us. Parenting panic. So the impact, now let's just be honest and say shock, of having a newborn baby is often beyond anything we could have imagined or anticipated. And don't get me wrong, new parenthood is or can be absolutely wonderful. But that doesn't mean it doesn't come with its fair share of stress. Challenges for new parents include the sudden realisation of serious responsibility, perhaps for the first time. Many people develop fears they didn't have before, such as of flying, because now they have to be around for their baby. They suddenly become almost aware of mortality. Perfectionist um, demands on themselves or even their baby, which clash painfully with reality, may also cause problems. They may blame themselves for feeling angry or resentful sometimes. Uh, or, you know, we all need reassurance as parents. The physical and emotional stress of a difficult birth, which can lead to PTSD in the mother and can turn 
uh, and, and precipitate depression in some people can also be a factor. Difficulty meeting their needs for rest, adult social connection and financial security, especially for single parents. Worries or preoccupations with the baby's health. Strain on relationships brought on by stress and lack of sleep. Now, may have less time for your partner when you have a new child. Inability to strike the right work-life balance and overworking if parents are working as well as parenting. So I, I realise all this sounds a little bleak. And of course, many parents are thrilled by the arrival of a newborn. And indeed, raising a child can bring incredible joy. But that's not what this is about. The reality, um, because I'm talking about depression, the reality is many parents do find this stage very challenging and it is a risk time for developing depression. But it can be just as challenging when the expected transition to parenthood doesn't happen. Many people have dreamed of having children for many years and finding out that this may not be possible can trigger people to ruminate and become overwhelmed, sometimes to the point of feeling that life isn't worthwhile because this particular expectation doesn't look like it's going to be fulfilled. But times move on and new challenges emerge. So we get to the middle age milestones. Challenges for people in their 40s and 50s include awareness of dreams not fulfilled, job insecurity or stress, or work becoming more intermittent, Concerns about children or aging parents, family or relationship breakdown or job loss, potentially making people feel as if they have to start all over again as a single or unemployed 40 or 50 something. That feeling can be terrifying and overwhelming for people. So realizing that their time is finite, the so-called midlife crisis can make people want to cling to a sense of youth or adventure or openness that they once had in life. They might develop health issues and poor physical health, especially if a person hasn't prioritised looking after themselves or has struggled with long-term stress. 40 has been called the old age of youth and 50 the youth of old age. Not that old age is necessarily a bad thing. And in fact, some people report being happier than ever in their senior years. But old age is certainly not without its own trials and tribulations for some people. So if we look at old age and retirement, work shouldn't meet all of a person's needs, but it may well meet some very important ones for some people. When a person retires from work, they might suddenly find some of those needs remain unmet, needs which were being met through their workplace no longer automatically being met. Specific challenges for retirees and the elderly may include unfulfilled needs for status, meaning and purpose. You know, what's the point of getting out of bed in the morning? What is the purpose? Loss of the sense of belonging to a community, perhaps. Uh, maybe lack of self-esteem and self-advancement as they're no longer able to feel competent in their role or stretch themselves by updating their skills. Increased frailty on a physical level, perhaps illness and waning physical and sometimes mental health, both personal and of their partner and friends. Friends start to die off or become ill. Of course, that can be very depressing. Loneliness from friends dying or moving away. Feelings of 
isolation and marginalization due to negative attitudes towards the elderly. You know, people can start to feel invisible in society, worry about becoming a burden as uncertainty over their health and care develops, conflict with a partner from suddenly spending much more time with them than ever before once they're retired, that can cause problems, uh, going from a context that easily meets many emotional needs to one that doesn't can cause a person to ruminate, stress, and unless they find ways to meet those needs for meaning outside of work, uh, they can become depressed. Less human contact can be a major problem, and keeping connections going may be as vital for health as regular exercise. People need to remain connected to some kind of community. It's not what we experience, it's how we experience it. Trauma can occur at any stage of the life cycle, of course, and there's no predicting when the stresses of life will suddenly mount up to the point of feeling overwhelming for people. And we all go through tough times, but it's not just what we go through that determines our ability to cope, but how we deal with the stress. How we still manage to meet our needs as best we can, retain hope and feel empowered. Once we understand the typical stresses of the life cycle, we can prepare ourselves and others to best manage them. And a big part of this lies in having good support from other people. So what can we learn in general? Well, first and foremost, relationships matter. Having warm, good and wide-ranging friendships and relationships helps us all mentally and physically and even financially. The one and only constant in life is change. The body morphs, circumstances alter, and no new second is the same as the last. Resilience means flowing with changes, not fighting them, and adaptability is perhaps the greatest human asset. And of course, everything passes, including hardships. So let me leave you with some words from ex-slave and self-created man, George Washington Carver. And he said, How far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and strong. Because someday in your life, you will have been all these things. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog. Thank you.